Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of Bullet Points, the the podcast that's all about uh, uh, first-person shooters, exclusively first-person shooters, not even third-person shooters, only those games. Uh, today we are talking about Cultus Simulator, which is sort of an abstract first-person shooter. Um, it's not a first-person shooter. This will be filed under Bullet Points Extra. Yeah, I, I don't know. That wasn't that wasn't funny. That wasn't good. But here we are. I'm Reed McCarter. <laughs> I'm joined on this humid, disgusting, uh, filthy July Sunday afternoon by Astrid Budgor. Astrid, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, it's gross. I don't like it. It's very hot here. We uh, we summoned the. I was trying to make some sort of cult joke, but I don't know the the steam monster, yeah, of of Gabool. <laughs> that's, that's where it's from. Um, get right into what it. Are, We're talking. Uh, yeah, what is what? this game? What? This is a game called Culta Simulator, which I'm not going to be able to describe well. Um, <laughs> I'll start off by saying, okay, so we're we're this episode. As you can tell by the name of it and the uh, the show notes and everything, is called uh, Cultus Simulator that we're looking at. It's a game by a small British studio called Weather Factory, um, who you may or may not have heard of. You have probably heard of the lead writer um, on this game, Alexis Kennedy, whose previous work includes Sunless Sea. Have you played that, Astrid? Yes. I have too. It played and that and uh, Fallen London. Me too. I'm a old school <laughs> Alexis Kennedy head. I don't think I've played any of this other stuff that he's worked on. No, I don't. I mean, I don't know his whole CV. You know, I'm not sure. I know he's. I think he's taking some like kind of contract work on other projects, yeah. right? Yeah. What is Stellaris? That's a strategy game. Okay, because this says he did like some guest writing, but um, yeah, the the big ones are Fallen London and Sunless Sea, I think. Yeah, and Cultus Simulator. Um, I mean, describing it, if you have played uh, any amount of Fallen London or Sunless Seas, Sunless Sea or Sunless Seas, Sea, I think. Yeah, singular. Singular Sea saw um then you'll kind of have a basic idea of i don't know to me to me the writing in this game sort of says more about it than than how it's played or maybe not we'll we'll talk about it but essentially what it is is it's a a narrative game um as all games are i'm really terrible at this uh where you essentially are you're playing as one of uh, several different characters that you can pick at the beginning of the game or are assigned uh, who you never see and you just have this like card table in front of you and the goal is to sort of create a cult and to accomplish various things within it uh, <laughs> which is so nebulous <laughs> but I think that's the best I can do yeah. and you sort of play it by you get to boil it down as simple as possible you get different cards that have um you know different attributes so for example one may be just entitled passion 
and it's like a resource and you can use that to you know uh, slot into these these little boxes where you can dream about things or you can go to work or you can explore uh, the city or you can try to convince people to join your cult and you use these cards like passion or money or you know different cult ideas that you've discovered Mm -hmm. and i don't know is that a functional description it's not it's tough one to yeah sum up quickly yeah because it's like sort of weirdly abstract because it's like um you have like the there's like a certain number of big square cards that you get on the table and those are all the verbs and the verbs are like those are what you use to like activate other cards i guess so like the verbs are the verbs are like your actions and then there's sort of a a weird like process that goes on when you are like well what can i do with this card and sometimes cards that you can explore or um just dream about are sort of ambiguous like you're not sure like at first that you would be able to explore a certain card because what the card is is sort of nebulous, but um, it does, when you pick up a, a little card, it highlights the verbs that it will accept, I think. Yeah, it does. Although sometimes it doesn't work, which is really weird. Yeah. I think there's, like, one card that I kept trying to dream because it would highlight, and it just, there, you couldn't, like, click the tab. Like, it wouldn't progress. But, um... This is a, I think, I don't really know how to describe the game itself, though. Like, it's like, what would mostly you say just the... waiting, right? Because you're just, when you slot these things into the verbs, there's, like, a timer that comes up, which is usually, mm-hmm. like, uh, 30 to a minute, 30 seconds to a minute. And then at the end of the timer, there will be a result, which could be, like, more cards, like, more money or more passion or just, like, reusable resources. And then... Um, sometimes like a new piece of information or a new piece of like cult lore or something like that yeah yeah and other things will happen too like I mean you can eventually play as an inspector who it's like from the uh, like the the state suppression forces or something (laughs) yeah I've actually never chosen the detective it's he is interesting although you because the things too are like you have to manage certain things you will lose this game often especially at the beginning when um and we'll definitely talk about this it's it's a very it's all sort of opaque you know you have to figure things out by just kind of doing it and uh sort of messing around trying different things and be surprised at the different reasons that your game will end. Like it'll end because you'll run out of money and then you'll become, you'll get a card that says like you're destitute. So it's like, you get like a picture of like some dentures floating in like (laughs) a solution implying that you've like lost all your teeth and things are just not going well. Um, You can get sick, which is like a weird, there's like a sort of, um, it gives you a chance to, like, rectify, like, certain ailments and stuff. Like, it'll give you a card that says, like, essentially that you're not feeling well. And if you don't deal with that card by, like, consuming vitality or money or whatever it is, then you get, like, a sick card. And the sick card is, like, harder to get rid of. Yeah. And you start to figure that stuff out in a way that I think is 
pretty gratifying yeah. rather than just being annoying. But it's still <laughs> sometimes this stuff will creep up on you when otherwise the game is going pretty well and you're figuring out and yes. you're getting some followers, which is just as sort of sickly feeling as as you would want it to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a brief aside. Like there's one option that I uh, haven't used yet, but I <laughs> I want to where it's like your your temporary cult headquarters and it's just like a follower that you can slot in and covered yeah uh, you can like imprison people yeah which i've which not is... had occasion to do no me neither but but um, yeah i mean there's also... also sacrifice them. yeah i've done that <laughs> yeah <laughs> they i mean they knew what they were signing up for because like the way you recruit these people is there's like a talk option uh, which is another one of these main sort of like primary verbs is uh, that is the best way to put it, I think. Um, so like you first, you start getting followers by uh, you take like your lore, which is, you know, a, a sort of like a, I don't know, how would you describe it? It's kind of like the thesis of, of some occult book that yeah, you studied. It's like you find scraps of what they call lore and it, they each have a type and there's like a bunch mm-hmm. of different, uh, like mysteries or mythologies that these all correspond with. And when you make your cult, you have to pledge allegiance to one of those, basically. Mm-hmm. So, and the uh, whichever mythology you pick will affect, like, where you can access by dreaming and the types of rituals that you can... I think you can always use everything, but it's, like, more effective. Or in certain cases, you will need a piece of your actual lore to do something even though you can consume other cards at the Mm -hmm. same time or something but yeah to like recruit people what i usually do is just take a piece of lore that i find which is usually by like buying a book and Mm -hmm. then reading it and then it'll like pop out a little little thing that says like a a dream of i don't know like a dream of spring or something it has a cup on it and then you put the cup card onto the talk card and basically what's implied is that you go out and just like this picture just like... saying insane shit on the street and then someone will be like hey that sounds good i want to sign up yeah. for your call <laughs> and then you like talk to them some more and be like yeah yeah like this is yeah this they're is good like stuff. Yeah, i got more of that and then um, <laughs> there's like stages i think of uh their followership there's like acquaintance yeah. hanger on there's like just pawns, which are just like faceless guys with glasses that you can use as like cannon fodder. Um, yeah. But yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think like one thing in this game, uh, to me at least, that is just entirely successful is um, just like the feeling of that comes from the writing and the music. Uh, music is very just sort of sparse and you know the only sound effects because it's very simple is just sort of dragging and dropping cards which make Mm -hmm. very nice sounds like slapping a brand new card on a fresh card table you know (laughs) the kind of thing you don't get to experience in day-to-day life it's really sort of a luxury living in cult simulator um but the writing is so like you're talking about this stuff and like right away i'm thinking of because you, you get the writing in these sort of, you know, if you've played Fallen London, I think 
is probably even closer to this than Sunless Sea. Yes, I agree. Um, yeah. Sunless Sea, I think it was a, a bit not long-winded sound, sort of like a put down, uh, which I don't mean because I like the writing Sunless Sea the best of everything else in this, but Fall in London had the similar kind of thing where you're essentially getting like a short paragraph at a time. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah, I mean, like the, two sentences. Yeah, the stuff you get in Cultist Simulator is like tweet length at like most yeah but it's so i mean if you've played the stuff that alexis kennedy has written you kind of know it's it's uh sort of like impressionistic like you know you'll dream about one of these things of lore or something and he'll say you know uh sometimes i dream about this like tall thin woman with uh like feathers and uh it has this like very wry sense of humor at all of it too. And he's like, I don't think she came to my dreams last night because I feel too well rested, you know, <laughs> which isn't like a, the greatest example, but yeah. Um, yeah. Just I like think... all of these things. It's yeah. Well, there's the thing about fallen London, I think in comparison to this is that he, well, it's like he keeps refining ways to tell essentially the same type of story Mm -hmm. um so in fallen london it was like sort of a more uh visual twine game or adventure game um text adventure it had like a ui and it had like some art assets and stuff but it was basically just clicking on text and but that was also a free-to-play game wasn't it at least for a long time yeah which i think is what I played it for a while, but I think that's eventually what put me off because there were like timers and stuff. If yeah, I remember, yeah, right. there was like refreshes, and there were like items you could use to do stuff instantly, and that has been like, well, in Sunless Sea, that stuff was like turned into the fuel on your boat. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you went out and explored the ocean, um, you only had so much fuel, and if you ran out of fuel, you would really just die because <laughs> there was no way, at least. Um, when I was playing it, I I never got far enough to like have another option. So the fuel mm-hmm. made it made you plan your trips and like you could only go certain places before refilling. And here it's been turned into I think the timers. Yeah. And the timers um, are sometimes just like a literal timer, and sometimes it's the stuff like um, a verbal pop up that's like uh, basically intimations of dread or something, and you're like feeling sour, and then. If you don't cleanse that card, essentially, you'll get, like, a dread card. And if you get three dread cards, you die. So, like, the timers take a bunch of forms. Yeah, that stuff, I think, is... I think it kind of sucks, honestly. Like, <laughs> Yeah, me too. I mean... Because that's what you're talking about when you say, like, you're in a groove and then all of a sudden you yep. don't have enough uh, glimmering or whatever it is like these resources that you can create but they burn out really fast like they have a 90 second decay and then once they're gone you like need more if you happen to get hit with that card well i think my problem with this is like sort of the same i played a bunch of sunless sea when it was in early access Mm -hmm. um so and i always meant to play more of it but i played so much of it was in early access that I kind of just forgot to go back to it yeah. after a while. Um, but this kind of gives me a similar feeling where there's a ton to learn and you start off 
uh, sort of bewildered and it's like kind of like a, a nice kind of welcome feeling of bewilderment because you're kind of learning small new things and then you restart and you're like, okay, I know more. I can do better now. Um, but at a certain point, you have restarted so many times that the liveliness of it has started to be sapped because you're, you're even with, uh, Sunless Sea had this too. Um, but you can pick very different beginnings. You can pick different characters who have sort of their own personalities and, and everything that like, uh, affects the way that you play the game too. Um, which is novel, but you do start to do the same ones and you do start to feel like, okay, I'm doing these same basic steps over and over and then kind of getting hit by curveballs after you've played for an hour and started to like really feel like, um, cause there's a sense in both of those games as well. Uh, especially in call to simulator that you're kind of building something. Yeah. And you know, I'm fine with these games. Like I'm kind of like torn on the idea because I do like how they're like relatively ruthless about just saying like you messed up, you know, the idea in both of them, but I'll just talk about Cult of Simulator because I want to compare it forever, is like you're you're going deeper and deeper into this like forbidden knowledge. You know, it, it's not a cult in the sort of like pop culture um, or like more real world ones that we see where it's about, you know, gratifying um, sort of like uh, worldly pleasures. You know, it's not like... <laughs> you're trying to like make a ton of money and have a ton of followers or something. It's like yeah. you're, you're trying to learn things that are not truly meant for like mortal minds. Right. Yeah. So, although you, I think I've never really gotten into this stuff in the game, but you do get like an ambition or something like that. Like, yeah. um, like something that you're working towards, but, um, it seems like a really long term thing in the game. I can't tell if that's like the end state or if it's just something you are also building towards. But, like, one of them, I believe, is, like, getting a lot of money or something. Oh, I didn't get that one. I th- okay. I think. But you're, yeah, the cult, cultist in, like, the Lovecraftian sense, where it's, like, you're worshipping Dagon, or whoever it is, that you've, like, come across, come across this forbidden knowledge, and you, like, spread it and preach it, and... um uh, it's interesting that in this game it's all taken well I can't say this for sure yet because I've never successfully completed um, a ritual but it seems to be all taken as like diegetically like this is all actual this is real mm-hmm. like you're actually dreaming about this stuff and accessing these new arcane places and stuff which is interesting because like the game starts out and you can just immediately come upon scraps of lore, and they're just taken as truthful, I guess. I don't know if it comes into play later that you, you like, contact any extraterrestrial stuff. I think you do. You're not extraterrestrial, but probably interdimensional. <laughs> yeah, but, like, I think you could make a case for this as well, that I, I think the game from what I can tell of, of what I've played of it, um, you, you probably wouldn't ever get any kind of judgment about whether this is real or not. Yeah. You know, because like all these characters that you're playing as are, are people who like, it all starts with most of them of like sort of getting like a whiff of something, you know, yeah. like 
uh, it does something really clever. Well, not it's not super clever. It's I just like it, I guess. Um, where you know your first character can be named, you know, uh, Les Claypool, and then uh, it probably will you, be. Yeah, Les Claypool has gone deep into the occult. Seas of the seas of cheese, sunless seas of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so you know you're playing les claypool and um i don't know he falls into despair and dies and then you start again this time as uh, a doctor maybe and it starts with saying you know you're you're working your first day at work and or the first day of work in the game and and you are watching this patient die yeah. And it's like patient Les Claypool who was raving about things that piqued your interest. Mm-hmm. This whole comparison is super distracting now because of that <laughs> example name. <laughs> no, but yeah, it sort of hands off each character to the next one. It's not like um, it's not like a roguelike thing, really. Like you're not retaining a lot. Like sometimes you get an, an item that's like um, the person's notes or something, but it doesn't like give you all their stuff uh it just creates sort of a thread that's like a larger narrative i guess that you're constructing yeah well like the idea is kind of like this is this undercurrent that exists and it's like real life right except now we have the internet so it would ruin cult the simulator (laughs) just like every every character would start off on like some fucking like reddit dmt spirit molecule board that <laughs> <laughs> just go from there <laughs> um but yeah like it, it it does take everything at kind of like face value just saying this is what's going on mm-hmm. so whether it's true or not it's like these characters are are delving deeper and deeper and i like that yeah. the the sense of everything being kind of confusing and mm-hmm. um something you're you're slowly learning to understand uh fits in with that i think pretty well um i think overall this game is like um pretty well designed like the way that um the mechanics like the actual clicking and dragging and the waiting sort of tie into the the narrative layer um I think is well done, and I think that was like sort of his project with the game. Him and uh, Wadi, the artist, on, and I think she does like production for Weather Factory. I think they've done a really good job with that. Um, the the game feels like it's like communicating an idea or like working something out, like mm-hmm. within within set boundaries. I know that Alexis Kennedy like. Uh, I believe after Sunless Sea, he left Fail Better Games, who are now doing, like, Sunless Skies. And yeah, he, I think what he said was that he, he didn't write the whole game, but he wrote, like, a shit ton on the game, and he was, like, didn't want to just write. So I think that's why Cultist Simulator is, like, a blend of, like, like, the writing in the game, there's obviously a lot of it, but you're not getting a lot at once. And it sort of parcels out little bits as opposed to, like, um, I do think Sunless Sea could be, like, really dense. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say, too, I, I think in terms of how the the writing is delivered, this, I think, is my, my favorite of 
of those three games, um, mm-hmm. Fallen London and Sunless Sea and Call to Simulator. I think this the the brevity of of just getting these little bits at a time and having to wait between getting more of them um serves it because i think they they kind of stick in your head a bit more there's more of like a poetry to them than prose um yeah just be because uh you know you have this this little idea of something that happened in a dream or something like that and you kind of are left with it for maybe a minute before something else comes up Mm -hmm. um which I think is makes it easier to digest some of it. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's just me, though. Like, uh, Would you say this is weird fiction if you wanted to, like, slap a label on it? Um, in, yes. Okay. Yeah, it's weird. Fi- it's not new weird fiction. <laughs> what's, what's new weird? <laughs> is that... Um, is that uh, Jeff Vanderman? Yeah, that's basically... Uh, what, what makes it new? Just the... It's like neo-noir versus noir. Like, it's um, It's just, like, after the period that we've already defined as being weird fiction or whatever. Okay. It's just, like, a, a resurgence, I think. Yeah, it's like uh, Jeff Vandermeer, um, Thomas Ligotti, and then, like... Uh, a bunch of other people who there's like a collection called the new weird where Jeff Vandermeer and his wife like collected a like a tremendous amount of these stories um I don't like most of them honestly yeah <clears throat> I do like Annihilation a lot but the second and third books in those series are sort of not great they're good I no, think they good. They, like, are sort of the antithesis of something like Cultist Simulator. It's like if you had Cultist Simulator and then, like, and then, a glossary or something. Yeah. I mean, okay, listen, this is a brief aside, but I read Annihilation on its own, but I got, like, this this collection with the three of them. Right, yeah. And I read Annihilation on its own, and I thought, there's no need for more of that. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. The, the, ending, uh, the ending of the book, I think, is is one of the better endings to a book I've read in a few years. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of sat with it and I didn't want to read more, but then I was also thinking, well, this guy's so talented that writing two more of these must, there must be something behind it. And I think it pays off in how sort of sideways it approaches everything. Um, uh, all I'll say is that I didn't even finish that third book. I was like the 20 one, pages from the end, and I, was, I just put it down and returned it to the library. Yeah, the third one's the, the weakest, I think. The second one's okay, um, but it's so fucking long. Like, Annihilation's like 90 pages or something, and the second book is just, like, tedious. I think there's a strong case to make to just read Annihilation. Don't yeah, don't see the movie, I, don't I read the so other too. two books. I mean, just it's appealing that. if you just get that one book, like, how slim it is. And, like, yeah. it's really beautifully written and um yeah i don't think much of the other two books i did like born he wrote i haven't read that i don't know if it's an, his most recent but born is really good the born identity yeah it's a he, it's in that series it's like a reboot <laughs> it's a, <laughs> the jason born weird fiction <laughs> where he opens up his like swiss vault and pulls out a passport box and then it's just like a swirling void inside of unknown 
dimensions. Um, but anyway, this was all. That's all to <laughs> all say that yes, I do think this is weird fiction. Yeah, and what I was going to say is that I think sometimes, uh, you know, obviously I'm not like uh, I, I've read a Thomas Ligotti collection. I've read um, more Lovecraft than I should have to understand him. Um, which Lovecraft, whatever, man, this is our podcast. We can do whatever we want. Lovecraft sucks. <laughs> Lovecraft I... blows. I mean, he was a bad guy. He was not a, a great <laughs> writer. Not a nice either. man. No, I think he wrote a few really great. The Color as Space is one of my favorite stories of his. Um, but I think a lot of the time, yeah, he sort of gets in the muck of like the, the actual idea or the monster or the reveal of his story can be like really stupid. Well, maybe the problem too is like reading this stuff, and then this is like part of what I'm trying to find my way to saying too is that it, you know you read Lovecraft or something in like a collection, and I did start to have this problem with the Ligotti stuff as well because it was like a you know 400 to 500 page collection yeah. of short stories. Um, but at a certain point, it's just like it's it's you're just going to be hammered with these concepts more than character at yeah. a certain point yeah i mean i think yeah especially lovecraft who never wrote like an actual novel to just like sit there and read all his stuff in like a one burst or whatever because a lot of it is short so you can sort of just keep going um it can be a lot because again a lot of his stories are like half-baked i think and um the ones that <laughs> aren't can be like really like stupid and racist yeah i was um, just gonna ask i was gonna say Lagotti. Lagotti is kind of interminable he has like one story that i think is really um incredible and a bunch of the stuff in that collection that penguin collection is just garbage <laughs> like he's not funny and he writes no. a lot of like like satire of poe and lovecraft and like the post lovecraft guys and it's just so not funny there's like a story about like some guy who gets like a cursed pants or something and it's just um his his actual writing though i think is lovecraft is like theatrical in a way that doesn't work are we talking about prose (laughs) prose (laughs) we're talking prose yeah i don't he wasn't much of a stylist i don't think it's just so he's like the the and and even more racist boring tolkien you know yeah just lovecraft like... would be he would be an he would be a, a reddit guy for sure he would be an, <laughs> he's an mra his uh creepy pasta would be very well received though <laughs> i think um yeah Lugati when he wants to can actually write but too often he's like he's either like trying to argue about horror fiction through fiction or he's like doing some dumb satire thing yeah uh that's i would recommend to anyone who plays cultist simulator and like enjoys it um and enjoys the writing specifically i think the early clive barker stuff is like books of blood and the hellbound heart i think are some of the best horror stuff horror stories like ever written they're like really like he can really write and um 
he's also like ruthless and gross yeah i've read one clive barker and it didn't do anything for me i forget what it's called it was like from the perspective of a demon or something i can't remember Hmm. it was probably a lesser clive barker yeah and i he got into like a lot of like fantasy stuff later on but i like yeah the horror stuff it became it started off kind of like a horror premise and became sort of like a fantasy-esque book which wasn't doing a lot for me um but anyway yeah this was like a way of saying though that i think when this is something of a problem i had with sunless sea even though i enjoyed it and fall in london a little bit as well but um sort of the the volume of writing um and and the idea of saying like the volume of, of concepts that were being that were being given to the player become sort of like overwhelming in a way that is enjoyable i think if you get a little bit of a breather now and then um but it was kind of relentless in those games and i think yeah in, in cult of simulator it's it's a lot more manageable and i think yeah. in a way it becomes more evocative because of it because it's not um it just everything has a bit more room to breathe which yeah. i think really works in its favor i think he kennedy actually said that about the game was he wanted to be like essentially as concise as possible um as opposed to like writing the amount that he wrote for sunless sea but to just keep the writing manageable and not like choke the reader with it or the player i guess but the both um, but there there are a few quibbles i have with like because i played i've played like eight hours of this i think mm-hmm. and there's certain things that i don't think are productive um in the way that it's designed specifically like the play part of it in quotes like there are like the the consumable like um vitality or glimmering or passion cards um you can't stack them whereas you can stack every other type of card i think um accepting yeah. like lore scraps or whatever but you never have that many of those as you do some of these consumables and i believe i want i want to say it's because they want you to see the timer on the card as it runs down but it ends up being like you have all these cards just cluttering the board and it doesn't it, it really doesn't add anything and they could just have them stacked like you know sort of fanned out or something it just because they're doing so much rearranging and clicking and dragging anyway that these little things can be like drag on it yeah i think that's part of also when i'm saying that like restarting it and having something that you've built kind of wiped away well i appreciate that on a certain level uh narratively i think there there are just like really basic kind of annoyances like um yeah the when the new cards are are given to you like a timer runs out or you hit collect on something they kind of just go wherever they want yeah. on this <laughs> like like one will just like plop down like in the corner of the screen um like almost off the edge so you do spend like a good amount of time just dragging stuff around so you can find it because you can pause at any point to stop the timers and kind of like assess what's going on yeah um but you do kind of want to have your stuff arranged well enough that you can see what all your options are like kind of 
what you have to work with at all times and yeah yeah there's like a, a a few i think generally it like it looks and sounds really great but there are a few little things like i like that it for most cases highlights where you can use cards when you pick them up yeah um but you can't just like mouse over them to see a description of what they are you have to click on them and like that yeah. sounds so tiny, but the amount of times you do it, like it just becomes kind well, of yeah. Because this game drag. is so like physically repetitive, um, it does end up wearing on you a little bit for long periods. Which I'm sure that the answer to that is just not to play it for sustained periods of time. Mm-hmm. But like real gamers know that uh, <laughs> when you that's sit not down, an option. yeah, <laughs> I didn't drink this monster for nothing. Yeah, but, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I do. There's a there's a weird argument I think you could make that a lot of the writing in Cultist Simulator becomes invisible um, because the recurring types of cards, um, like both ones that you get every game and then ones that you get when you're starting games, like certain card text just disappears because you're just seeing the card for its function. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's always the same blurb. It's always the same flavor text on it. So you're sort of ignoring that. Um, I, I'm not saying he should, like, write 16 variations of, like, <laughs> every health card so that you have something to read. But I think it's just it's just something that he, the game, like, accepts. Um, yeah. And that's, to me, that's kind of also a function of kind of restarting this a lot of times yeah because you you see so much stuff repeatedly and then the other thing is that um there are like a handful of beginning jobs so like a handful of characters you can select basically and unless i'm either unimaginative or like missing something you're always going to be doing like the same opening steps opening play like, you're going to want to go to the bookstore yeah. and buy a bunch of stuff. You're going to want to either get the job at the um, at the law firm or start painting. There's, like... Glover and Glover? Yeah. <laughs> there's, like, certain paths that you'll end up slotting into just because that's how you get started. And Yeah. Yeah. And that's like kind of that's one of the more interesting things about the uh, inspector card, yeah, because the inspectors. <laughs> it starts off where I think it was too hard for someone like me who was already having a hard time with the other ones. Um, the inspector starts off, and uh, you've learned. I, I think you're the person who arrested the person before, um, who died. Or succumb to something. I think they always die, no matter what they, what happens to them. Yeah. Um, so you are you're left with the case of what happened to the previous cultist. Um, but then the inspector becomes curious, of course, about like what this person was obsessed with. Uh, but you have to keep <clears throat> investigating. Um, you have to keep investigating the case by essentially bringing in witnesses and talking to them and studying the material and and everything in order to keep going and to keep having a job uh, or you lose it and you lose it very quickly if you're not doing the job yeah. and I think stuff stuff like that is like pretty novel except the problem is 
when you lose the inspector job because you've been spending too much time doing other things, you then, I think, just get a job at, I'm pretty sure it's Glover and Glover again. Yeah. Or it's like menial work that um, takes away your health. Right. So you you basically just default to one or the other. Yeah. it's. Tracks. I mean, it's like the same thing as... I. Like, I love these characters that you start as, too. There's also, like, the, um... What do they call this person? It's, like, the layabout, like, the, uh, aristocratic kid. Who... Oh, yeah, where you can... You have, like, an inheritance that you start with. Um, and, like, some notes from your grandfather or something. Yeah, but then, like, your father dies, and turns out you don't have... You get a lot of money very quickly, and then nothing. Right, So you have yeah. to... So you have to go work at the law firm, I think. (laughs) But like stuff like that, I think if, if it was maybe more distinct, like it was more kind of like your options are cut off depending on which one you choose would be a bit more interesting. Yeah. Cause it, at the moment it doesn't feel like you're picking, it's just always the same game essentially it's just like it it tweaks certain things but there's it always falls back against like the sort of uh base path Mm -hmm. through the game like if you if you sort of like run through or fail at these other frills you you are basically the same as everybody else which i think is probably like a conscious choice to have it kind of even out into yeah, you know, you're picking like sort of your advantages and disadvantages at the beginning, just to get you started. Yeah, but I, I wish that was more. I, I even wish some of like the pursuits were tied into it more. Like the uh, the rich kid has essentially like a what is it like? It's like a brothel kind of place, oh, and yeah, yeah. an auction house are the places that they mm-hmm. can spend money at the beginning. And if you go to the brothel, um. I think it's always this way, but they get like this card that's like essentially like they need like worldly pleasures more than like they can understand. Right. You know? Yeah. Like they're like, they need more than sex. They need like some sort of like, I don't know. And there's one too that you can get. It's like a knife and fork with the same thing, yeah. um, which I think, I think all of these games, I think... Alexis Kennedy is into cannibalism in, in these stories. <laughs> I imagine that that eventually comes into play on that one. Yeah. Um, um, but I kind of wish that stuff was like, that's, you know, this, this, uh, well, I can't think of the right word for this kind of person, but like this aristocratic layabout kind of person, you know, I wish it was like, that's the kind of thing that they get locked into. Um, right. You know, whereas this aspirant one who's, like, studying or the doctor, you know, uh, gets into this stuff about, like, trying to see light that's coming in through the darkness of, like, their day-to-day grind Mm -hmm. and the stuff they encounter. But, I don't know. Who am I? So, I'm really curious about the, I saw a late game in Cultist Simulator, um, which is... the meta? Well, yeah, what's the meta for this game right now? <laughs> I think no. there probably is one. Yeah. I, actually, so I did... When I was first starting the game, I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to like look up 
basically had to get like my cult started and stuff and someone had sort of mapped out um from the alpha like what everything did like when combined with something else so the whole game was essentially just splayed out um and so like sad a, yeah and so i looked at it and i was like this like once i saw what everything did it was like i don't actually care about that like if you want to if you want to like min max the game you can certainly do that but it seems really uninteresting to me to just be like well if i saw this here i can do this and then get this and then i can bring about the apocalypse or whatever the end of the game is but i feel like the the spirit of it which you don't have to like honor or whatever but the spirit of it is more about fumbling your way through this story but i guess maybe there like there is kind of a counterpoint though of saying you know both of us saying too that at a certain point you are kind of um if you are just trying to uh kind of enjoy it like on a more refined i don't know <laughs> yeah ascended <laughs> yeah like us on our shea lounges with our <laughs> glasses of wine playing cultist simulator. <laughs> um but no if, if you are just kind of trying to not not sort of see see the bones of this thing and then just turn to i don't know just sort of like take it as it comes um you do run into these spots where you want to keep going and the game is like you lose and have to start again because you don't understand kind of the the systems at play yeah fully yeah i guess so it does encourage that to an extent right no you're right like because you do end up understanding the process to like gain cultists and explore places and get relics and stuff and then you can go into like this dreamscape where that part i don't really get yet it's sort of like you dream about something you can progress through the dream world and then you get like a certain card but they're usually just like cards you can get anyway um Mm -hmm. it like sort of randomizes what you get if you click a card and Usually there's, like, one card that's a secret or something that you can go explore, and then there's two that are just consumables. But I do... I guess once yeah, once you get into this sort of mid-game, it's more about planning and, like, knowing... Yeah. It's like knowing that when you paint something, you're going to get a bunch of passion so you can ward off the... whatever it is that comes from the... Uh, the seasonal timer because the seasonal timer is where you get like certain conditions put upon you um you know lets oh. you peek ahead yeah there's a preview of like the next season yeah so see, it lets you sort of ready yourself um for that stuff and you can like build up your stats sort of um yeah which i think <clears throat> is probably the point that you end up if you um are observant and play this for enough time to start really yeah. you know approaching it properly but then doesn't that kind of fly in the face of starting out and you're just kind of fumbling your way like like um the story is about someone who's kind of fumbling their way into doing this mm-hmm. you know so if you start out and you're just like all right do this 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 and this and this will build up like these things and it'll get you this much money and blah 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 yeah. it kind of seems I think I don't know. There's like a tension there that a, yeah. There's a point at which that's unavoidable, though, right? Because you yourself already know like all these routes and these combinations. 
Okay, you know the woman who's like on the startup screen, and she's like peeling her face off, mm-hmm. and she's wearing a hat. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's the player. Maybe the idea is that you're manipulating these people. You're like a cosmic intelligence, and you're guiding these like scurrying little mice through mazes, and you're mm-hmm. becoming more intelligent. Interesting. What a great way to discuss something is to say. I'm not good enough to finish this game, and here's what I think it might be at the end, <laughs> which, um, which is something you could just easily know on your own if you finished it. I do wonder what the... Because they say it's like 20 to 40 hours, um, and I'm assuming that's like... Is that like one playthrough? Like you need to be playing for that long with one character, or is it... I'm assuming Ooh. if you have to get through... Uh, but like, what is the end of the game? Is there like certain conditions that come up or like you, I just, well, it's like you were saying, right? Like there's like some cards you get at the beginning where it's like your obsession or obsession isn't the right term for it. Um, it has an actual name, Mm -hmm. but it's like your calling, which all of these things have proper nouns. So I'm getting the wrong thing, but it's like, if you upgrade it far enough, then it says you can you can achieve victory by oh that's right yeah so i to me i kind of took that as like if you understand this fascination or calling or or obsession like well enough Mm -hmm. you know it's probably some form of like enlightenment that means you've you've won yeah because like um one of the seasonal things will like pick up that that um card and it's almost like it's checking it for progress or something because it'll just spit it out and nothing happens right. really. Right. Yeah, yeah. But like if you meet a certain condition, maybe it it progresses or something. I don't know. Um, how? What is like the farthest that you've gotten with this? Uh, not far enough. <laughs> I can get a few followers, um, and but then other times too, I've consciously uh kept just like a few acquaintances and tried to study more yeah uh, to see how that would do i i don't know i always lose and it's for the stupidest reasons you know like i just neglect one thing and then all of a sudden it's like you know you get a despair or something or you run out of money and then next time like okay i gotta keep a better eye on that yeah and then another stat runs out so i don't know my my uh, run throughs of this game have typically been about an hour, I would say. Yeah. Which I imagine is much, much lower than a lot of people. Yeah. Um, that's how it was for, I think, once it clicked with me, um, I think I got further into the game, but there were definitely a lot of times where I just ran out of money or food or whatever um because it can be sort of with certain like um failure states they come up on you really fast if you're not keeping track of them like i feel like the the health one gives you some warnings because you get those afflictions and you can start you know I, i think that's something you figure out relatively quickly that when that happens you need to be resting you know there's like the the dream one which could also probably be called like sleep 
because it's yeah. also a way to just like chill out like you can put a health card into it and it turns into a vitality card which is a difference even though they're both hearts mm-hmm. and you figure that stuff out like i don't know i i, I want to keep going um yeah once you get to exploring ruins and stuff um it's interest there's like more of a it's like a mini game within the the larger game because it's making you like put together teams and like um encounter obstacles and stuff yeah i've had that and i've had all the cards to put into it but then i couldn't start it for some reason and i couldn't figure out why i oh, think yeah. it was my yeah. last run i had to figure something else out that i was doing wrong but that like became my goal yeah. i want to do a ritual and yeah. i want to have you upgraded so... any of your cultists from like followers to yeah like, they the be... second level or whatever they become like what is it like ascendant or something? Yeah, or as- ascended. It makes you like consume a piece of lore. Yes. Like you use like a yeah. really good piece of lore, but it disappears afterwards, which sucks. Because pretty much any other time you use the- those things, like they stick around. Yeah. So you ha- you can like try them on lots of stuff without worrying that it's going to disappear. But when you ascend a cultist, uh, it eats <laughs> it up. I guess the idea is the cultist like keeps it under their pillow <laughs> from now on. It's like no, you're not allowed to look at it. It's mine. I have to study it all the time. Yeah. Or they like get it sewn into them, like yeah. I don't know, the Red Dragon movie, if I remember right. Um. um what else I'm is sorry. there to say about Cultist Simulator? I don't know. It's fascinating. I think it's worth playing. I uh, think. Yeah. It's a, um, yeah, I don't know. I there's a lot I like about it. It, I think if you've played, I think it's my favorite of, of uh, fall. Can you even play Fallen London anymore? I don't think they're updating it, but I think you can still play it. Like you can still like make an account and yeah. There's actually there's a version for iOS that I was playing for a while, which is sort of a nicer way to play it. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I think that would be ideal, would be um, playing on your phone. I, I do like Sunless Sea, but to me, it's like a lot more exhausting to play that. Yeah. I There's think... something about kind of the pacing of Sunless Sea that... Yeah. Oh, it's so it's so cool, though, like the, uh, the setting, I think, yeah, is I so... Yeah, I like the music, and I, I do like the art and stuff. It's just like to play it. Eventually, you start wondering why why it couldn't just be a game like Cultist Simulator, really. Like, the going everywhere in the boat can just grate on you. And it is fairly slow. Which, yeah. in a sense, feels like... All of these games, the design of them seems like different ways of getting at solving some of the same problems. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, I agree. Um, I think that the the Fall in London one was sort of like the first place you would go if you wanted to design a game like this. You're like, well, let's just make it a text adventure. And then Sunless Sea uh, is like a text adventure where you have to travel between the text boxes, basically. And, and fight. Yeah, and there's like some really, really rudimentary combat stuff. Um, and then Cultist Simulator... Is sort of a more abstract 
rendering of that idea where there are text boxes and you're technically moving stuff around. It's not just a text-only adventure game, but um, the cards and stuff are not like actual... They're not actual things in the game. Like the ship is an actual thing. Yeah. I think it does a better job of being... It's a weird thing to say about it, but I I do think it's more direct kind of than uh, Sunless Sea. Like you feel like you have more control even though so much of it is is figuring out how to actually use that control. Yes. Um, Yeah, I... I like it a lot. I don't know. I I think um I think it's it's fascinating and I think it's something I think there's a lot of value in the kind of writing that that Alexis Kennedy does is not I mean, A, it's it's not like a lot of other writers in general, even if you categorize it a certain way. Um mm-hmm. he has a very distinct voice that um almost surprises me sometimes that that uh it's seems appealing to so many people because it's very like kind of singular you know yeah he um i don't know how to describe it especially in cultism i think his his word choice and stuff feels like very considered and um the cadence of the writing is interesting a lot of the time i'm thinking of uh i think it's when you work at the hospital there's a blurb that always comes up when you, you're just working there. It's sort of like a, just a filler thing, but it's like, it's like very heavy on like semicolons and stuff. It's very like, imagistic. It's just like a rat-a-tat mm-hmm. thing, just sort of a description of the, your character's day. Um, but there's a lot of stuff like that where it's like really precise. And it's uh, it's, it's weird too because it's um, it's very refined in a way but also very irreverent i was just gonna say it would be very easy to parody alexis kennedy it'd be it'd be rude it's so honest well there's so um betrayal to parody (laughs) there's so many like turns of phrase and stuff that are very him like the especially the lore stuff and the dream stuff Mm -hmm. um just the images and the fantasy stuff in there is like very emblematic of his writing yeah, but I think that's. It's I not mean, a bad how many, thing. Yeah. That's... How many other writers who are doing stuff in games can you say have a uh, distinct enough voice that you could parody them? Well, funny very you should easily. say that because while I was looking at the the weird fiction Wikipedia, uh, one of the people listed is uh, Mark Laidlaw. Um, See, the, the writer of the two Half Life games. No, isn't Mark Laidlaw? Uh, isn't that Bioware? Uh, or wait, no, you're thinking of uh, somebody else. Another man. The writer, the Half Life games. Yep. Uh, yeah, like I'm. I he's don't under know. the I'm weird. Sorry. He's I'm... under the weird fiction Wikipedia page. Oh, he wrote a bunch of books. Mm. Well, you can Maybe tell. The... Maybe the book. <laughs> they hired him because he wrote a lot of books, and yeah. they said, "Now work on this game where or the none dude of doesn't yours... say shit." Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's a War of the Worlds, fucking pastiche. 
I wonder what a garbage game. <laughs> Half Life and Half Life what's Two. What's the What's the Planescape guy's name? I feel like he maybe has a voice. Except Chris. for now, he's like the. He's like the. Uh, he's like, he's like the for fixer for fucking Kickstarter projects. Yeah, he's pretty talented. He's his stuff feels more. I'm sure some people would disagree really strongly, but his stuff feels a lot more generic to me than someone like it in Alexis Kennedy. Okay. His stuff is very like high fantasy yeah. just dense um, and I think it's it's well written it's something that's never clicked with me though um, yeah Christ what's his name he's you're still trying to think of the Bioware guy no 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 okay. no I've given up on that uh, Obsidian Entertainment that's this Avalone right or is there somebody else that's who I'm thinking of yeah yeah Avalone Avalone Along with know. old, how the fuck do you say this guy's name? Fergus. It's probably Fergus. Fergus Urquhart. <laughs> I don't know. Urquhart. That's a, that's a name that pops up a lot around here. <laughs> um, I'm serious. It actually does. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the 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 Urquhart's never made it to Florida. But yeah, I think you're right that the the kind of writing that. Alex says Kennedy does is very different from like what you see in most games which are like um they're not like more narrative because like this game is all like story stuff but they're like more focused on uh choices and like character building and world building and just like uh volume like just volume of writing yeah and I think the way that certain things are well, and I think you see this too, why there are so relatively few, like, well-known writers. And and why I'm saying something like Mark Laidlaw, like, it, you know, he wrote all these books, which I haven't read, but I'm not, I'm going to withhold judgment because I think you can take someone who, you know, you could take uh, Jeff Vandermeer, who wrote an excellent book, and put him on Half-Life, and you right. could get yeah. similar results, right? Because you're you're using... <laughs> I don't know. To me, it always seems well, like a waste. I know yeah. people have different approaches to it, but but like everybody has like a lane. I think, yeah, exactly, and like a, a specialty, and like when you stray from that, and because you've like achieved success or whatever, and you have the freedom to, to sort of like do other things because you're not dependent on them for money or whatever, so you can sort of like dip your toe in a bunch of stuff. You usually are really bad at the other things. Like Nick Cave's books um, are not good. His those. scripts are like super rough. His soundtracks are like uh, probably the best of those three things, but they're still like really uneven. And um, just you can't be good at everything. But like when you are famous or whatever, it uh, it's easy to think that you can be. So yeah, like um, if you get if you get a Vandermeer or a anybody like that and have them write a video game or a comic or something it might not come out well because they don't know the medium and they're like busy doing other stuff as opposed to being conversant in that medium that's a good point also, Don- Jeff, donald uh, glover though oh is well, yeah. uh is a renaissance man some people like him um atlanta is very good i've never watched it it's very good it'll it'll uh affect your opinion of him forever okay. i think in a positive way it's a very good show not a rapper to me he's not great <laughs> at rapping he's 
a good comedian and it turns out an excellent writer and actor okay do you know okay. jeff vandermeer said that he thought under the skin was a bad movie well listen. it's ironic to me because if you watch annihilation what's the name of the director of under the skin jonathan glazer should have got jonathan glazer to direct annihilation well they basically did um alex garland oh. is like sort of a shapeshifter as a writer and director um but the, like a bunch of this stuff in annihilation is like very under the skin except like um stupid <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how to say it i didn't mind that movie i thought it was okay it was not it's not a replacement no, I think I reread. I think the, the soundtrack does so much heavy lifting in that movie. Yeah, the, there's a the bit where the alien, the visualizer alien, is like, yeah, glooping around on the soundtrack. But that's uh the Portishead guy, right? Yeah, Jeff Barrow, I yeah. think. And so, that, and yeah, when I say soundtrack, I should probably actually just say that. That the, one, the Jeff, yeah, the Jeff Barrow stuff is what does it. Yeah, because there's like a bunch of like weird guitar stuff, like a uh, Last of Us, like acoustic. Yeah, noodling. which is like, I don't know, it exists. Yeah. But anyway, wow, um, can you imagine a video game that prompts discussion of other stuff rather than video games? That's cool. <laughs> That's fun. I do think um, Cultist Simulator is like, I don't know. It's not like it has to be worthy of, like, discussion with other stuff. But I think it lends itself to that because what it's tapping into, like, writing-wise is um, atypical for games. Like, there have been, obviously, Lovecraft-themed games and, like, Lovecraft-licensed games and some weird fiction games. But they're usually um, not this sharp and, like... Like they have their, they don't usually have their own voice like this. So what would you get if you it just made me think of this, where people try to shove Lovecraft into video games, um, and often not with great results. Although there is that one, that one that doesn't run super well on my computer that I've tried oh, to Call play. Of, Call of Cthulhu something. Dark right? Dark the Corners of the Earth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Which I've heard good things about, but it uh, I've bought it, I think, three different times, and it crashes. Oh I don't think it uh, ran... Yeah, it didn't run on anybody's computers like when it came out. Like, I think I have very, it on Steam very and like, good old games, and <laughs> I think maybe I bought it on one other thing as well, hoping that like one version would work. Like, yeah. a, like a true moron, you know, a true uh, t- technological well, they, goofball. Uh, they had like two sequels lined up for that and they just never made them because the game bombed. Well, what I was thinking is like, wouldn't it be better to, instead of being like, this is the Lovecraft game, you could have uh, Alexis Kennedy do a first person game, like an exploration game or a action game. Yeah. I'd, I'd be into that. Yeah. I mean, this is technically a first person game. That's true. I always play cards by standing directly above the table. <laughs> no, but like the writing. The writing is written in first person. Okay. <laughs> I'm very literal. I thought you <laughs> Can you imagine playing like poker with someone who just like stood with their like hands on their hips and just like looked down over top of the table? 
eating handfuls of nuts, candied <laughs> nuts. It would be um, funny if they added like a VR one where like what the f- <laughs> if they added like a VR one where um you're like a person and you have like your hands and feet rendered in the game. You can like climb on top of the table and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm telling you though, those uh those card moving sounds I think in VR could be you know. <laughs> like you laugh, but you know that sound you slap a, a a fresh a fresh pack of cards <laughs> and they still have that kind of uh the coating is still yeah. on them yeah it's good it's too bad i don't like playing cards more because i really like uh putting cards on tables <laughs> <laughs> anyway card feel can i just uh, can i just close this out by reading a sentence from the wiki for call of cthulhu dark corners of the earth yes please so the i guess this is the climax of the game it says uh, in the end Spoilers. In the end, it is revealed a Yethian, and I think a Yethian <laughs> is like a Lovecraftian outer demon or whatever. It is revealed uh. that a Yethian swapped minds with Jack Walters, the protagonist, <laughs> with Jack Walters' father during the moment of Jack's conception. <laughs> during the conception? That's... So when he was conceived, there was an alien in his dad's mind, and he got the psychic powers from the aliens... Okay. And this is a game that people really talk up, so... <laughs> well, I like Metal Gear Solid, so... <laughs> Judge not, lest ye be. Um, but the moment of conception, I think that... Interesting. Well, you can tell. They're they're sort of, like, um, beyond our comprehension that they could uh, really just sort of, like, monitor humanity and find yeah, that just exact waiting moment. waiting for that moment. <laughs> It wasn't like during the act of conception. It was during yeah, the moment. A cosmic nut. Um, <laughs> it's sort of like that. That like really disgusting um, Alan Moore comic series where he like turn all the Lovecraft rituals into like really explicit versions. Because like Lovecraft was like basically like sex phobic. He yeah. never wrote about any of that stuff. But the it was like always implied that like uh, Lucretia in the Dunwich Horror was like assaulted by like a elder god or whatever the fuck but he never actually said that he was always very circumspect but alan moore was like no i'm gonna like get really dirty with all this stuff that's kind of interesting it's like a yeah i mean alan moore is alan moore but it's an interesting idea but it's really tough to read obviously yeah but i well i mean i think someone who actually had like a a a soul uh writing lovecraft (laughs) would have been more interesting Rather yeah. than this, like, fucking mannequin, hate hate mannequin. Yeah, he's sitting sort of like his the, study. He's like the ultimate like world building guy. It's just yeah, like it's, I think that's why I don't like him. Well, I maybe that's why he was so driven to like, because maybe he didn't understand emotion, and so he had to contextualize it as something that was like beyond logic, that was beyond yeah. comprehension. He blew his mind. Yeah. Anyway, I shouldn't talk about this because, like, I don't know. I've read, like, 20 Lovecraft stories, and he, I'm sure yeah. people have written very the, smart the stuff The difference between the good ones and the bad ones is, like, pretty slim. It's just whatever strikes your fancy, I think. One time I called Lovecraft a racist in a thing I wrote, and this guy got really mad at me. He was like, it, I don't think that's... a legend, and I was like, yeah, but also, <laughs> like... That's basically just part of his biography. It's just 
a thing. So, so it's the idea what all that the outer the whole thing is like his thing is like tainted blood and like yeah basically race mixing but it's like uh, yeah. they're aliens instead of yeah it's not whatever. good <laughs> like if you <laughs> yeah I mean if you if there's if there's stuff you want to take from Lovecraft you you think he's a legend or something yeah his legacy is pretty his... well assured at this point. Yeah, but I think also, you know, you, you can't read them without, yeah. without grappling with that stuff unless you're, I don't know. That's the real cosmic horror. It's denying that Lovecraft was racist. <laughs> yeah, he's calling him a legend and There's like a, getting mad about that. We can stop anytime, but like Lovecraft has had like a weird afterlife in like philosophy. Oh God. Um, I think... Uh, Thomas Ligotti and Ligotti's ideas influenced this guy, Eugene Thacker, who wrote like a bunch of... I know of, that name. Yeah, he did like some philosophy that's like about cosmic nihilism, basically. And then I think Hollaback um, wrote a biography of Lovecraft, and then DeLuise wrote something about Lovecraft. Like, it's just... Hmm. He, uh, he's a popular I, guy. I kind of think that's maybe the legacy to leave right is is exploring the the ideas opened up not actually the man's work itself which yeah. i think is here's what i'll say to end this on a on a positive note is yeah, stop, stop shitting on legend <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> uh is um read um god uh read uh, jorge luis borges instead of lovecraft if you want someone who uh, knows how to write a sentence and <laughs> has a heartbeat and cares about people, even as they're grappling with like ideas that are, are enormous in scope, yeah, you know, someone with like an actual, like a human being, yeah. um, someone who you can picture like speaking to, or um, I mean Poe, yeah. Um, although he he had some race stuff, but uh, you know it was more like uh, standard as opposed to like virulent even by the standards of the time. Yeah, uh, Kafka too. If you like, if you if you don't want as much emotion in your writing. Anyway, yeah, and, this, uh, is the, this is the one place you can come for a Kafka recommendation. <laughs> Yeah, I like, to, I like to recommend the uh, obscure stuff like Borges and Kafka. You know, just really off the beaten trail. Um, right. But anyway, but yeah, I don't know. Cultist Simulator is, I believe, it's a seven twenty dollars, and we're not like consumer reviews, but it is. You know, if you like what you hear, I think it's worth playing. Great, great value for money. Yeah, um, uh, there's so many cards. It's so replayable choose. that you could easily achieve the dollar per hour ratio. <laughs> uh, it, it, even I think a, a fifty cent per hour ratio is yeah. achievable, depending on your region of the world and mm -hmm. and tax rates and so forth and so on. <laughs> um, yeah, so seven out of ten, right? Yeah, that goes without saying. I think. Yeah, Astrid. Where can people find you on the old, the cos, <laughs> the real cosmic horror, 
Um, I'm on Twitter as Hastapira, uh, and that's it, really. Yeah, I'm I'm on there at my name, at my name, and uh, my name. more imp- more importantly, uh, did you see that movie last year? Call me at your name, <laughs> and it had an at symbol in it. It's, that was good. I thought the dialogue was like a little tenured, but it was really beautifully shot and <laughs> it was moving. Um, <laughs> uh, more, more importantly, we, uh, we have all sorts of stuff. We have a website, uh, which you may know about bulletpointsmonthly.com. Um, right now for the first time ever, and it feels very strange not to be editing and writing stuff, uh, constantly. That that is going on the site in short order, but we're running like a best of month um, because August will be so sort of end of July, I guess, is technically like the two year anniversary of of when we launched the site, uh, which is yeah. bizarre. Astrid, you weren't even there, so yeah, I won't say anything. You're Actually, not allowed. Two years is longer than like a lot of like uh, other publications. <laughs> We've survived longer than most hamsters, uh, yeah, is how I like to too. think of it. Um, <laughs> I think we're uh, around longer than to dissolve. Oh, Maybe? probably. I mean, listen, you know the secret is just d- is don't make any money for yourself. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you Stick around forever. You can go until people just crack and <laughs> leave. Yeah. <laughs> um, so long story short, I guess, actually, is that uh, read the site um, because it, it's kind of interesting. Like I've been thinking back on this and looking at it and it's it's hard to tell when you're just kind of thinking month by month and, and week by week and putting up the new stuff and and trying to just make sure everything is kept up on that. You know, there's four articles a month for two years now straight. Um, so it's... 24 plus games because i think there were a few times we covered more than one game in an article or a month um you really gone every month since yeah damn not a single month has been missed not a single week i think unless there was some weird you know five week stuff and we didn't have the space for it Hmm. um but anyway there's there's a lot of stuff there um yeah which i encourage you to read there's a lot of different guest writers who um we've been really happy to work with and feature on the site and so this best of month we we were just going to pick our four favorite articles and we ended up i think all suggesting freelancers uh who contributed so we're running those right now and they're articles i really like um the first two are are up by the time we're recording this um yes. one on your automata uh by julie muncie who's been on the site a few times and uh, the second on uh, Bioshock Infinite by Yusuf Cole. Yep. And those are both really good. And we have uh, others coming from uh, Jess Joho and, and Rob Rath that, yeah. yeah. And it was hard to pick those four. There's a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, there's like more than 80. And also just from like freelancer stuff too. There's a lot of good stuff. So... Yeah, check those out, and we'll have we'll be back with another like original month next month, um, and podcasts. And Astrid and I are still doing this Kingdom Hearts thing, which you should listen to. Yep, uh, patron. We have a Patreon, um, and if yeah. you if you pledge five dollars a month, you can get the Kingdom Hearts podcast and also like a podcast where we cover 
game industry news uh, in all seriousness. Yeah, 100% serious. We should have uh, pledge drives. Like they do yeah. on like community radio and you're like, oh, I don't want to want to listen to some americana or whatever you're playing but instead it's like um six people in the booth like yelling about the phones lighting up and the donations coming in we should do that just like a pledge show yeah where we make ed play i don't know i was gonna say his his, uh his patented world speed run of resident evil 2 but he has to do it like 50 times in a row yeah (laughs) <laughs> make it's Ed like play a, the entirety uh, of like Final Fantasy 7 on stream <laughs> and uh it's like yeah, the I, Philip Glass of speed runs he just like <laughs> keeps repeating the same thing it's the the RE2 variations <laughs> session one each year it's another session did you ever listen to that thing where he goes I am sitting no it's not Philip Glass it's someone else just um I am sitting in a r- room, if you are hearing. No? Um, and it, ke- it keeps being played back within the room. Oh, and I think I know what you're talking about, yeah. This guy has like a slight... Like a, a weird like audio art yeah, piece. Was... That's what Ed's thing will be. It'll just be what happens <laughs> to... We'll have him play it, speed run it, and then we'll just keep playing it back to him over and over. <laughs> anyway, this has been... A very long outro. So, yeah. so that's that. I don't know. Patreon.com slash bullet points. Uh, yeah. Read the site. Listen to the podcast. Uh, retweet stuff. That's cool. Um, I don't know. Leave reviews. Do all sorts of stuff. Engage. Let us know. Engage. Yeah. Engage with our yeah, Engage with our content. Right? Yeah. Content. Yeah. content.